You're just feeling the presence of the creator of the universe. The one that spoke it all into existence. The Bible tells us where two or three are gathered together in his name. He's right there in the midst of us. And what you're feeling, it's not just emotion. Although we express it, express it emotionally, but what you're sensing is the divine presence of Almighty God. And uh, we don't take that for granted here. Praise God. You can be seated, but just, just soak it all in. God is doing an amazing work to during these songs to watch from the youngest to the oldest, God was touching and moving and speaking, and uh, I believe that we're not here by accident today. I believe that what God does, he always does in order, and what he always does, he does on purpose. And so I'm excited about what God has for us today, and I am asking uh, that you would turn to the book of John, the fifth chapter. Praise God. As you're turning there, I want to remind you of men's breakfast is the second Saturday of the month at 9 o'clock. So that is the whatever day that is, 12th, I think, something of that nature. And so we want to invite all of our men to be a part of that. On the 27th of February, I know it sounds like it's a long way out, but it's our annual business meeting and we need to, by law, announce that on several Sundays ahead of time. And so we're announcing the 27th, right after service, we'll have our annual business meeting. And uh, we have three seats open on our board of directors. And so the only ones that cannot be nominated are uh, Bertie Boyer and Cheryl Perkins. They're in the middle of a term right now. But if you would like to nominate yourself or nominate another to serve on our board, all nominees need to be turned into me by the 13th. Praise God, by the 13th of February. Aren't you glad that Jesus wants us to be whole? <clears throat> I, I felt very strong this week that there's a lot of us here, <clears throat> and maybe not everybody right now, but somewhere in our history or in our future that we need to be made whole. And what I mean by that is how many here have ever been healed? All across the room. How many have ever been delivered from something? All across the room. Did you know that healing and deliverance does not mean you're whole? It just means you've been healed and delivered. And so I want to share with you what I believe the Lord laid on my heart this week about being made whole. When you're whole, it happens in your spirit, soul, and body. Everything gets taken care of. And I believe that God wants his people, his body on earth, not just to be healed, but to be whole. Not just to be set free, but to be made whole. And, and, and so I wanted to share with you out of John chapter 5, starting at verse number 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep gate a market, or a sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. 
And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Let me just stop there just for a second. A little bit later in John, two chapters over, the Lord lets us know that when we receive springs of living water, he's talking about his spirit. I know that those people that were sitting at that pool that day were waiting for the physical water to, 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 to start moving, but today we're sitting around a pool where the Spirit is already moving, and, and it's up to you and I to get into it. That was free. Verse number four, for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. I want you to notice that verse there, that statement there, whole of whatsoever disease. That's the healing part of it. The disease is taken care of. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 38 years. Now how many are younger than 38 All right. How many are over 38? Just had to be just had to be fair. That's a long time. That's a long long time. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had been now there a long time. He saith unto him, "Wilt thou be made whole?" It's a question that Jesus asks. Wilt thou be made whole? And immediate, or, and the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Let me just give you another freebie. Stop looking for men to get you to the water. It's time we grab a hand of the master. No matter what situation we're in, no matter what circumstance we are facing, it's not who you can get to, it's who you can get to. It's not the man or the woman that's next to you. It's not your spouse or your friend or even your pastor. It is Jesus. Grab a hold of Jesus. He'll get you into the water. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now I want you to notice something here in verse number 10. Well, actually, verse number 13. Jesus conveyed himself away. We're going to go back and read in a second. But we don't know when Jesus left the man. Can I tell you how I think it happened? I think Jesus passing by said, well, rise, take up your bed and walk, and then he was conveyed away. He was moved out of the atmosphere that he was in, and the man began to do what Jesus commanded him to do. So now we'll go back to verse number uh, 9, or number 10. The Jews, therefore, said unto him that was cured, notice we're still talking about the disease here. You see that? We're talking about the disease. It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. 
Then they asked him, What man is it that which you said, uh, said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, verse 14. Afterward, Jesus finds him in the the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. And uh, sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto you. I want you to notice the progression. Jesus asks him a question. Jesus performs the miracle and then leaves and then gets reconnected with him and declares him whole. There's too many of us that are living in the question instead of the declaration. There's too many of us that have become satisfied with the healing and not being made whole. There's too many of us that have understood and have got excited about the deliverance but haven't gotten found out the place to be made whole. And so my question to us today Will you be made whole? Will you be made whole? I took my glasses off, so I really can't. All I see is blur. Don't want to step on too many toes today. But will you be made whole? You see, the, the story is written out very well. There, there was a, a pool there. And it was as custom that some seasons an angel would come down and trouble the water and whoever got to the water first received their healing. And this man, now there's a couple of things that, this, this man had been there for at least 38 years and there's a couple of things that I, that I don't really understand about him and, and, and that is, is this. Why did he let the people leave his bed where it was at? Why not move the bed to the edge of the pool so he could just fall over into it? It, Really, I mean, when the water gets stirred, he doesn't have enough strength to get from where his bed is to the water. Why didn't he let his bed be moved? Sometimes... We are too fearful of getting too close to the moving of the Spirit. And so we leave our bed hidden back in a corner so that we have an excuse not to get healed. There are too many people that have walked their walk with God. And God has wanted to deliver them and or heal them. But they have a built-in excuse. Well, nobody was able to get me to the presence of God. Nobody was able. The preacher didn't preach good enough. The singer didn't sing good enough. The moving of the Spirit wasn't there. I couldn't quite get to the altar that night, God. I had a roast in the oven. I had a football game on the TV. I had something to get to, somewhere to get to. And when the water started moving, I couldn't quite reach there. Can I just challenge somebody, move your bed off the side wall and get right to the edge of the Spirit so that when the Spirit begins to move, all you've got to do is fall over. Jesus 
gets this man's attention when he walks by him and he gets his attention by asking him a question. Wilt thou be made whole? Now, if I was there, I would say, well, that's just a dumb question. He's been there for 38 years, Jesus. Of course he wants to be healed. The problem with that is Jesus knows our hearts. And he arrests the attention of that man by asking him, will you be made whole? And the reason why I believe that, and it's not the first time that he's done this kind of thing, but in this case, the reason why I think he did was because I don't know that the man had not got so settled in his impotency that he had become accustomed to it, that he was comfortable in it, For 38 years, somebody was feeding him. For 38 years, somebody was taking care of him. For 38 years, he at least had his bed to live in. For 38 years, he didn't have any worries because he he didn't have a job to go to. For 38 years, he didn't have to support himself. Somebody was helping him along. And sometimes I think that we get into a place where we become so accustomed to our weakness and so settled into our weakness and we've gotten so accustomed to others caring for us that when God says, do you want to be made whole, we have to say, think about it a second. I'll let that marinate. Here's what Jesus understood. When man was created, God created in us a free will. And Jesus doesn't violate that. He doesn't. So he first comes and he says, do you want to be made whole? I, 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 when I look at it closer, I guess I would ask the same question. Or, or this, what have you done to be made whole? You haven't moved your bed. You haven't gotten somebody to move you to the edge. You have, all you've, you've gotten become accustomed to where you're at. Can I tell you that there are some people that have become accustomed to the drama of their life? And when God removes them from the drama, they do not know how to function because they became so comfortable within their drama or their circumstance or their addiction or whatever you want to call it, wherever you want to be, whatever that comfort zone is. But God is trying to tell somebody, I want to shake your world today. I'm asking you, do you want to be made whole? This question for this man to answer reveals the man's degradation. He had given up all hope. Basically, can I just read between the lines and, and, and read what he, his response was to will you be made whole? Well, it's no use, Jesus. It's no use. Every time the, the, the water starts moving, I, there's nobody here to get me there. I can't get there. Every time I try to get there, somebody gets there before me. 
Can, can I just tell you that some of us have gotten to a place where hopelessness has set in? It, it can't reach me. It can't help me. I've messed up too many times. I've fallen short so many times. The Bible says this and this and this, and so I don't have any hope. The Bible does say that, but the Bible also says this. Whosoever will, let him come unto me and drink, and I will give him springs of living water. You see, this impotent man had settled being less than what God created him to be. Do you want to know how easy it is to settle and not fight? Do you know how easy it is to just get so overwhelmed by your circumstance that you just said, well, there's just not even hope. Why even try? Why even try? Because God, when, when I'm sitting in a service like we're sitting in today, when I'm sitting in this kind of a service and the spirit begins to move, I just, I just, I don't want to make a scene. I don't want anybody to hear whether I can sing on tune or not. Can I just tell you, the Bible doesn't say that you could sing a good song. It says that you should make a joyful noise. So for all you non-singers, there's hope. Just make a noise. But pastor, the water is stirring, and I have nobody to carry me to the water. Well, that's okay. Just let him carry you. Where you're at, it's the reason why oftentimes I'll say this whole sanctuary has become an altar area because you may not be able to get out of your seat that day, but Jesus wants to get to your seat. If you'll just not settle for just a little touch of God, can I just tell you goosebumps going up and down your spine is just a symptom that the presence of God is there, but it doesn't make it so that you've embraced his presence? But when you embrace his presence, you sense the warm change of his spirit in you. Oh. That question also probably piqued an interest. A little spark of hope to that man. Who's this guy asking me if I want to be? Is he going to stand here and wait for the water? Well, why is he asking me out of all these people? The multitudes that were there, why is he talking to me? Can I tell you, there are times in services like this where the water is turning, that you lose track of everybody around you because you know that Jesus is standing right in front of you and he's talking directly to you and he's ministering to you. Can I just tell you that's where your hope begins when Jesus begins to touch you? Some of you have had tears go down your cheeks today and you can't explain it. Some of you have felt the warmth of his presence but you haven't recognized it because you maybe just this is, we're just a little bit weird for you. Things may be just a little too emotional for you. You may be too Minnesotan. <laughs> you may be too stoic. But let me just tell you something. When the God of all creation touches my heart, there's something that happens on the inside. Sometimes I cry. Sometimes I laugh. Sometimes I shout. Sometimes I whisper. It's all encompassing of my emotions. Why? Because I have hope of a better life.
So I want you to notice today what Jesus did. He's so cool. He gives this man a three-step direction to his healing and to being made whole. He said this, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Do you want to know how many times we mess that up? We try to walk before we rise. And we stumble across the floor and bang our heads into walls. Sometimes we try to take our bed up before we rise. That's difficult. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we get it out of order. Jesus gives a very specific progression And I'm going to tell you the reason why he does it here in a a second. But he said, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Can I just tell you something before I get further on? If that gentleman would have risen and not taken up his bed, his impotency may have been gone, but he would have never been made whole. If he would have risen and taken up his bed, but never walked... He would have been healed of his sickness, delivered from his symptoms, but never have been made whole. And there are all kinds of people around the world that have followed the command of Jesus to rise, but they didn't take the other two steps, or they've taken two of the three, and then they wonder why they don't feel whole. The reason is because God is an all-encompassing God. He's not just looking to heal your body. He's looking to heal your spirit, your soul, and your body. And so when you are delivered of something, it's not just deliverance for a specific purpose. It's a deliverance for your entire being. And there are too many people that settle for the healing of the body and negate the healing of the soul and the spirit. So Jesus says first, rise. Now again, if I'm there, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a little skeptical from time to time. But if this Galilean walked in, see we give the multitudes a bad rap for not recognizing Jesus. But I have a feeling that a lot of us would be there doing the same exact thing. But But he says, rise. Now if I am looking at the scene... In my head, because I'd probably be too chicken to say it, but in my head, I would say, well, Jesus, come on. What are you doing? You're telling him to do something that he knows he cannot do. Notice Jesus didn't ramp up. Notice he didn't work up. Notice he didn't sit and go, okay, let's deal with this, 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 and this, and this. And if we can deal with this before this, and this before this, he just said, rise. Just get up. The one thing that we know that this man cannot do, that's what Jesus tells him to do. Don't come to me and say, well, Jesus asked me to do it. There's no way I can do it. If Jesus tells you to rise, you can rise. If Jesus tells you you can do something, he's telling you to do something because you can do something. I know that's profound, but there's too many of us that cower back in the corner like Gideon and say, well, not me. That can't, God, I can't do that. 
anything but that. No, no, no. Rise. It's the one thing he couldn't do. But here's what the gentleman did. I can't rise, but I will rise because he told me to. Get this. If you want to be made whole, Jesus is going to ask you to do something that you cannot do. Don't look back at him and say, I can't do it. Look back at him and say, I may not be able to do it, but I'm going to do it because you told me to. I'll tell you what that is. And this is what happened, I believe, when this took place. This is Christ's will meeting man's will. Will touching will. Will connecting to will. And when your will connects to his will, the power of God is released in you to do something that you not, could not aforementioned do. But when your will touches his will, all of a sudden the power of God walks into your life and empowers you to do that thing that you can't do. Let me give it to you in biblical terms. James 5. 14 or 15 or 16, one of those three, James 5, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Can I just tell you, I know some of you have been around, you've heard me say this before, but effectual fervency isn't getting on the altar and beating your fist on the, on the platform and getting energized and saying, Whoa. I'll tell you what it is. It's simply this. Lord, I align my will to your will. That's when you become effectually fervent. And when you align your will to his will, like the man did, you can do that which you don't, are, are not able to do. You can rise up. Where is your will today? Do you want to be made whole? Are you wanting to be made whole? Are you wanting to maybe rise? Get your spirit up. Get your soul up. Your body will follow. Then he says this, and I, I find this interesting. This doesn't register for a lot of us because most of us haven't lived in the Middle East. But he says, take up your bed. That doesn't mean pick up your queen size. When they would travel, they would have almost like a sleeping bag. And that was called their bed. And so for 38 years, this man had laid on his bed away from the pool. And Jesus says, rise. But then he says something to do something else. Can I just tell you what some of us would do? We'd rise and we'd get out. We'd move. But God, Jesus steps in and says, no, I, I need you to do something. I need your action to coincide with what I've already done. You see, you couldn't do the rising part. I had to do that for you. You did that out of obedience. I empowered you to get up on your feet. You've been laying there for 38 years. I'm the one that empowered you and gave you the power. Now I need you to do something. 
And this is where we miss it in our walk with God. God does not deliver us or heal us or minister to us just to get us out of something. He ministers or he heals and he delivers us so that we can do something. He doesn't want us just to become passive uh, be, by being healed. He wants us to become whole so that we can step into something that's even greater. And so in this case, he says, take up your bed. I'll tell you why I believe that he said this. Number one, so that there would be no provision for a relapse. So that there would be no provision for a relapse. When you come out of something, when you rise up from your bed, the Lord is asking you to turn around and burn the bridges so that you don't go back to what you were in in the beginning. Listen, this isn't something that he'll do for you because it's still according to your will. But some of the reasons why people live their life for God in the valley one day, on the mountaintop the next, in the valley a couple days later, is because they've never burned the provision for their former life. They've never, he said, take up your, get rid of the sleeping bag, pick it up and get it off the floor so that you'll never go back to it again. I'm talking about being made whole. It's the Bible. It's Jesus. Take up, get rid of the thing that would provide for a relapse. But that wasn't the only reason that he said that. Now, I don't know about you. It doesn't happen in our house very often because she changes the furniture all the time. Okay? But have you ever had a piece of furniture sit on a carpet or on a floor or, or, or like one of those area rugs that have just sat for years and the sun has come in and you peel the rug back and you can still see the shape around the floor? You, you know what I'm talking about? Or if you move that furniture, there's still the stamp of where the furniture was in the carpet. Okay, 38 years, that bed was covering up that spot. I believe that Jesus said, hey, listen, dude, rise and take up your bed. So every time you pass by Bethesda again, you'll see the spot of your victory. Listen, when you pick it up and burn the bridge and get rid of the provision, that thing that would have caused relapse becomes a memorial of victory. And every time you circle around that place that had you that had you bound up, that had you struggling, all of a sudden when you walk by, you look at it and you say, Ha, that's where I was at one time, but now there's a memorial there of victory. Listen, the Israelites did it all the time. They set up places where they would memorialize the victory of the Lord. But can I just take you one step further? I believe it's about not having provision for relapse. I believe it's for a memorial for victory. But let me just tell you what I believe the third thing is that Jesus was doing by saying, take up your bed. He was changing the man's identity. You've got to catch this one. That man was known how? By being an impotent man. 
a weak, frail, diseased individual. In the eyes of society, they were unclean. In the eyes of society, it identified them as not being worth very much. In the eyes of society, he was just a cripple lying on the side of the pool. But let me tell you what happened when Jesus walked by and he took up his bed, no longer could anybody ever say that he was impotent any longer because not only was he healed and rose, but he was able to bend over and pick up his bed and begin to move and begin to go places. No longer was he weak any longer. Listen, in your weakness he is made strong. And through his strength, your identity changes. I was a hater, now I'm a lover. I was a fighter, now I'm on his side. I opposed him, now I don't oppose him any longer. You can't, listen, here's what this does. Um, those glasses are messing me up so bad. I can't see and then I can't see and then it does, it bugs me. It, anyhow, it, that's a free, it's on the side. Here's what it does. I'll just close my eyes. Here's what it does. It lets you look in the mirror, and when your adversary says, you are this, you can look right back at him and say, no, 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 no. I've been risen. I've taken up my bed. I'm not labeled impotent anymore. I'm standing on two feet. I'm walking. You can mess with me. You can fight with me. You can challenge me, but here I am. You can try to allure me back. You can try to raise up circumstances to get me to hate more, to go back to my addiction, to do whatever I was doing. You can do all that kind of stuff. But here I am. I'm standing. My legs are working. My bed has been picked up. I don't go back to where I was. I'm a brand new creature. It's the reason why in this church and our chain breakers ministry, we believe it's a ministry of restoration and not recovery. If it's recovery, we're just getting back to where we were before we got messed up. But when we've been restored by the blood of the lamb, we walk into a new being, a new creature. We are no longer identified by our addiction, by our hangups, by our hurts, by our wounds. We are identified as his. Will you be made whole today? Will you be made whole today? Do you need an identity change? Listen, sometimes it's not society. Sometimes we've labeled ourselves. I can't count on, I can't count the amount of people throughout my life and my ministry where I heard the concept or the saying, I'm just, I'm not, I'm just not really into anything. Can I just tell you, what I believe is the greatest sin in the church today. And what I mean by sin is missing the mark. This is the greatest sin, in my opinion, that people are not confident enough in who they are in Christ. I am looking at a house full of overcomers, 
potential champions. I am looking at people here today whose society counted you out. But Jesus said, nah, nah, I don't agree with society. I'm going to draw you into me. I'm looking at a group of people who may not be the most talented in the natural world, but can run circles around anybody in the spirit world. And I'm talking about somebody that has been elevated above the angels because by your free will you have accepted what Jesus has called into your life. Listen, we can dispatch all of the angels, but all of the angels have nothing compared to the body of Christ in the earth. And that's you, and that's me. We are empowered by him to become his representatives. I'm not sure why I'm getting hung up here. Somebody's got to hear this and grab this and absorb this. You are not weak. You are not weak. You are not powerless. You are not hopeless. You have not been written off by the Lamb. You have not been discarded. You have not been cast out to the potter's hill. He has not thrown your clay away. Your story is not finished. He is still writing as of right now. He's just turning the page to another chapter. Let me just tell you, the days of darkness are coming to an end. And the days of light are beginning to break forth. For weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I need somebody tomorrow morning when you get up and all of hell breaks through in your life to look into a mirror and begin to declare the strength and the power and the anointing of Jesus over you and your family. Listen, I don't care how old you are. I know that there are kids in this house right now that God's anointing is all over them. They are powerhouses for God. Just release it in you, my young person. doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how good looking you are, how cool you are, how out of date you are. It doesn't matter because God has changed your identity. You are no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. Huh? Can I tell you one of the things that have messed us up as human beings somewhere along the line, and I don't know where it started, but when we started having last names, it messed us up. It messed us up. You see, in biblical days, people were known by their first name and the son of. So David was the son of Jesse. Solomon was the son of David. <clears throat> Get this. I'm not a Sanders. I am the Tim, the son of God. Well, that's pretty bold, Pastor. It sure is bold, but he's the one that called me that. I'm his kid. My last name is his name. 
We sing about his name. But if your identity has been changed, it has been changed from who you are to his name. So when the enemy comes knocking at my door, I can look at him and say, ah, this isn't the Sanders household anymore. This is King Jesus' house. You have stepped into the palace of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if you want to mess with his kid, go ahead. But I'm going to go find my daddy and my daddy's going to take care of you. Listen, I'm not arrogant about it, but I am confident about it. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I could never become his kid on my own. But since he welcomed me in... (laughs) I might as well lean into it. I might as well absorb it. I might as well use it. It's like the little eight-year-old girl in Sunday school when the teacher says, what do you do when the devil comes knocking at your door? It was silent until this little girl raised her hand and she said, well, teacher, when I know that Satan comes knocking at my door, I just ask Jesus to answer it. Listen, that eight-year-old girl knows more than most of us do. Stop answering the door. Take up your bed. Forget about where you were and now where you are. And stop answering the door. Stop fighting it on your own. Stop trying to figure it all out on your own accord. And just ask Jesus to take care of it. The third thing he said was walk. Oh my, a couple more minutes. Walk. Can I just tell you something? Jesus said to walk. Don't expect to be carried. Don't expect to be carried. I understand the purpose of this that poem, Footprints in the Sand. I, I get it. I understand it. But what's even better is if we just keep making our own footprints walking along the side of his footprints. Because here's, here's what God wants us to know. If you can rise when you really can't, if you'll take up your bed and cut off that provision and change your identity, I'm getting ready to give you a walk that you've never thought about before. You'll never walk like an Egyptian, but you'll walk like a Christian. You knew the song too, sir. Hey, listen. God told Joshua that the area wherever his step would fall would become his. My friend, if you begin to walk in the power of God, when you walk into your living room, it becomes God's territory. When you hit your kitchen, it becomes God's kitchen. When you walk into your office at work, it becomes his. Wherever your foot lands, it becomes his territory. 
So you might as well walk in it. You might as well walk in it. Listen, I need somebody to walk tomorrow into your workplace. Not with your head down, but put your head up. And every step you take through that, this is God's territory. I'm not me anymore. My my employee name may be such and so, but I'm walking in here as a child of God. I'm declaring the atmosphere to be his. I'm declaring the offices to be his. Lord, I'm, I'm declaring the warehouse to be his. And where he is and where his kingdom is. His power is there. It's going to hit somebody tomorrow at 2 o'clock, 2.30, 3 o'clock, and the boss ain't going to know what hit him. Because some of you are going to be putting something away, something you're going to enter something in on the computer, and the power of God's going to hit you so strong in that moment, you're not going to be able to speak in English. You're going to feel the power of God come over you. He's going to declare his approval upon you. He's going to begin to be that take that rise, take up your bed and walk as you begin to walk in. Listen, that sounds a little crazy. That sounds a little far out. Hey, so is Jesus. Hey, if God in the Old Testament can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you. Oh, the last thing here I need to tell you. Jesus waits until he rose, took up his bed, and walked. I need you to understand something. While that person was doing those three things, Jesus was not there. Well, pastor, I feel all alone. Yep. Pastor, there's nobody else. Yep. Keep rising. Take up your bed and walk. Begin to walk in it by faith. Because here's the thing. God doesn't make us whole until we're willing to walk by faith. See, we do everything backwards compared to what God does. We do everything backwards. We're saying, okay, God, you told me to rise, take up my bed and walk. I expect that now you're going to be there to move me. No, he's already given you the command. And here's what happens. I've seen this time and again. The Lord has gotten somebody to rise, take up their bed and walk, but that's all they do. But because they don't feel God in that moment. I I hope I'm portraying this the right way. When that man rose, I'm sure he got all excited until he turned around and the man that told him to rise wasn't there. And he had to, in his own miraculous ability, in obedience to what he said, took up his bed and began to walk. And I've got to believe that this man had been around the Jewish culture long enough to know 
that I'm really not supposed to be carrying my bed on the Sabbath. But he told me that's what I needed to do. And I want you to notice when he began to walk, it doesn't say that Jesus carried his bed. And it doesn't say that Jesus was walking with him. In fact, he was walking all by himself, and the Pharisees came to him and said, What in the world are you doing on the Sabbath day carrying your bed? Well, the one that told me to do it, that's why I'm just doing what I'm told. But can I just give you an insight? The Pharisees were the religious people. And they were more concerned with the person carrying the bed than the person being healed. You've got to understand that there's not going to be another person in the world that receives your healing like you receive it. Yeah, we'll support you, but it'll never register for us like it'll register for you. And there will be people both in society and there will be people even in the religious realm that will tell you that really didn't happen. How can you be doing this now? How can you be acting this way when you used to be that? And your response isn't to debate. It isn't to argue. Just turn to them and say, I'm just doing what he told me to do. And then after all of that, the Bible says that he came into contact with Jesus again. Some of you have risen. Some of you have taken up your bed. Some of you have begun to walk, and you're just wondering where Jesus is. Just keep walking. He's going to show up here in just a second. And when he shows up with you and you show up with him, he's going to do something. And I want you to notice something. He says, sin no more. It's not a question and it's not a command. It's a declaration. Here's what he's saying. Don't sin anymore because you've already been made whole. You won't fall short and miss the mark anymore because if that would happen, you would have something worse come to you than it happened at the beginning. But it's not a command for him to figure it out. How do I make sure that I don't sin? I, I, I know I'm going to mess up somewhere. I'm going to have a mistake. Here's what it means. It means that when you become a new creature in Christ, your sin isn't sin any longer. It's been washed by the blood. It's been erased from the records of heaven. You have a spotless record, and when that spotless record is spotless by his blood, the mistakes and the errors that you make from that point forward are not sins of separation. They are simply disappointments in a father-son relationship so that when I mess up, it's the reason why the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation. You can only have condemnation if there's sin. You are spotless. Do I mess up even after I'm a new creature? <laughs> All the time. 
do those things separate me from God? No. Read Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing, 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 nothing. But we have to be made whole first. Notice that Jesus does not declare any of the concept of sinning no more until the person has been made whole. This is, this is for us church folks. Don't expect somebody to be perfect until they're whole. Don't judge your family or your neighbors until they've been made whole, until they have risen and taken up their bed and begun to walk. It's not until after all of that that Jesus makes a declarative statement and says, now you're made whole. Sin no more. Now become perfect in me. Now become righteous in me. Don't try to figure it out beforehand. You'll never figure it out. It's after. I don't know how many people in the history of mankind have turned their back and walked away from God because of some judgmental attitude of some supposed Christian thinking that this should be done and this should be done and this should be done, but they hadn't even gotten to taking up their bed yet. All they did was rise. Take up your bed and walk, and you'll be made whole. I invite you to stand. I believe that Jesus came to this service today to make somebody whole. Not just healed. Not just delivered. I said not just healed and not just delivered, but to be made whole. I wish, I shouldn't say wish, I pray that we would have hearts to receive and ears to hear exactly what the Spirit is saying today. Because there are too many of us that get overly excited about being delivered out of something instead of being delivered into something. And we've somehow got this mindset that our deliverance is this big kind of thing. Can I just tell you, all Jesus said to the man was, rise. Take up your bed and walk. And the moment he started to rise, his impotency was gone. He didn't have to work through his healing. He didn't have to work through his deliverance. He only had to work through his wholeness. Here's what I want us to do in just a few minutes' time. Some of you are here today. And you're the man that's sitting on the bed. And you've become comfortable in your hopelessness. 
and that nothing's going to change and you're just going to be who you are. Can I just tell you, he's standing there to rise. And so I am coming by right now in the midst of this house as the voice of your Savior telling you, rise. Telling you to rise today. To take up your bed and to walk. Is there somebody here who you feel like you've been delivered? You've been healed, but something is holding you back from becoming whole. A circumstance, an individual, a bed, if you will. Would you just roll it up in your spirit right now? Take a step out of your seat and make your way to this platform right all the way across this altar. This is for somebody. Please don't be embarrassed. This is just following the words of the Scripture and physically representing a step out. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Just move as far forward so we can get some people in behind you. Yeah. Yeah. Come on all the way right down here. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. So good. Now, if you're here today and you've been healed and you have overcome the thing that puts you in your troubles to begin with. I'm asking you now to walk it out by coming in behind these folks and begin to pray over them. Begin to take up the territory around them, declaring it for the Lord.
Yes, 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 yes. It's happening right now. Yeah, it's happening right now. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Listen, we shared with our leaders on Thursday night a vision for our church. And God is sending us on a mission. And I'll be preaching on it over the next few weeks. But just know this. God is restoring us to pre-fall relationship. To the relationship that Adam and Eve had with God in innocence, in righteousness, in holiness. He's going to restore that. 
He is restoring that. And he wants all of us to be a part of that. And it's going to be exciting. Praise God. Praise God. Let's just one more time worship. We're not going to dismiss this service. <clears throat> just take the presence of this service with you. Don't forget all the announcements that we meant, the, the renewed thing and the men's and women's, etc., etc. But take this spirit of worship with you. One more time, would you lift your voice? Begin to declare the goodness of God. We love you, Jesus.